Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we ended in verse 20. That's why we're in verse 6, or chapter 6. We ended with verse 20 that said, as these are coming around, For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And on the back of your handout, I'll wait one more, one or two more, one more, there it is. On the back of your handout from two weeks ago, uh, as I just read chapter 5, verse 20, the last question was, when Christ's kingdom is first, food is more filling, drink is more refreshing, sleep is more restful, and relationships are more loving um, or more intimate or deeper. And I asked if, if you wanted to do for homework, some think of some verses that might be proof texts for, uh, for that. And Sister Vicki gave right away Matthew 6, verse 33, which... We were actually talking about. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so it says, yeah, when Christ's kingdom is first, food is more filling, drink is more refreshing, sleep is more restful, and relationships are more loving. And so Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first, or in the King James Version, seek, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And we think, because Jesus was saying, you know, the Gentiles think about food and clothing and shelter and all that stuff. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. And we see the word added, which is both in the English Standard Version and in the King James Version, as being something that, um, that those things that we desire to have and even need to have, well, we'll get those if we put Christ first. However... In the Greek, the Greek word that's used uh, here, which is prosthesthemi, uh, prosthesthemi. It sounds like I got a with prosthesthemi. That's a word that can be translated also increase. Uh, it gives lends to it. It's not only so. If you take the verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's not that you just get them. They will be increased to you. And that's why food is more delicious when, you're, when Christ is first. Um, sleep is more restful. Relationships matter much more when Christ is first. Another one that I uh, came up with was Matthew 19 and verse 29. It says, everyone who has left houses and brothers, because you remember Peter said, you know, the, the rich, it was in the episode of the rich young ruler and how difficult it is for uh, someone to, that's wealthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And, um, and Peter says, Lord, we, we've left all to follow you. And he says, uh, and he says to him, Matthew 19, verse 29, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. And there's been various commentaries on that. But when we consider, and eternal life, will inherit eternal life, those who have trusted in Christ. So what are those things, who will receive mother, father, sister, brother, those relationships, Houses, you've left houses, you'll receive these a hundredfold. Again, that's an idiom. 
uh, young people idiom is like a, a, a uh, an expression, uh, a saying that was very common back in those days. The hundredfold was something that the goodness of those things will be increased to you a hundredfold. So, so it can apply in two ways. If you're, say, a missionary and you've kissed mom and dad goodbye and you've gone off to the mission field and you don't see them for a long time until you come back on furlough or may not see them again, even away, that relationship is so much closer than when you were with them because you've given yourself over to Christ first. Or when you do see them, the moments that you get to see them because you're in ministry, oh, the, the time that you're together with family, like Brother Caleb, Sister Esther, they're away from their mom and mom's away from you guys. But when you do get together, because Christ is first in your lives, it's that much richer. And so even if you're not in quote-unquote ministry, everyone's a minister. So if you're giving yourself over to the Lord Jesus, first and foremost, you've, you've placed them as a lesser priority because Jesus is first. But any time that you have that relationship with people or the provisions that God has given you in houses and food and all that, it will be so much richer and for us to enjoy because God has given it. Um, John chapter 2, verse 10, I thought was a proof text for it because if you remember that when uh, Jesus turned water into wine and when the governor or the master of the feast tasted the wine and he says you, you most people give the good wine first and when everyone is you know filled and satisfied and everything then you bring out the bad stuff but you've left the good stuff until now the best because it's what jesus brought and i believe that that is also uh, an indication of the truth of the gospel being made first and that which is that we receive even now is always going to be sweeter. That which we drink is going to be much sweeter and more refreshing. It's going to be that much more delicious. Those things that we eat, those things that we partake of, will always be better. Um, John 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that, you're, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so we'll have the fullness of joy um, because we've made Christ first. He says uh, also um, in John 16, verse 24, until now you have, 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 have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So in these two things, he says, I've spoken these things to you that you may receive my joy and that your joy may be full. And then also ask. So in these two areas of our Christianity, when Christ is first because we, uh, we are reading his word, we take time to read his word, young people. When you read his word in the morning and you've given yourself over to him, he says that he will bring you much greater joy. And that when you pray, you're making communi uh, communion with Christ or communion with God in Christ a priority that your joy will be made more full. Um, there's also a couple New Testament or Old Testament verses. Psalm 16, verse 11. He has, you have shown me the path of life. In your 
Um, you have shown me the path of life in Psalm 1611. Uh, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Is that one that you wrote down, sister? But you were thinking of it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's one, of, uh, that's one of my favorites right there, that when Christ is first, that his presence bring, is brought into every relationship or every home that you own, if your own uh, for every house that you live in. And I'm saying it that way because everybody doesn't live in the same house. So when you go home, the home that you're living in is filled with the presence of the Lord because you're taking the presence of the Lord with you because you've made Christ first. Uh, this one I particularly like, Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings, Psalm 36, verse 8 says, They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the rivers, from the river of your delights. That's a wonderful Psalm 36, verses 7 and 8, I think, in its application, when the spiritual truth that in order to convey the spiritual truth of Christ's priority in our lives and the delight that it is, he uses terms that relate to what is familiar to us, like eating and drinking. So that when we see, when we take that verse that our young people have memorized, as Sister Vicki had right at the top of their list when, when I first came here, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all unto the glory of God, you'll notice that the glorifying of God is made up of those things that we do every day, eating and drinking and activity. And finally, Psalm 81, verse 16 says, but he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Honey from the rock and with the finest of wheat. So that God is saying, saying to us that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the simplest things in life will seem as the very best. I know, in fact, like today, today we had a, an interesting day, but when Lisa and I went home, we had some hot dogs. But those hot dogs tasted so, so good. Uh, they were, it's like we were having a feast. Now, I know this woman in the South who, to her, hot dogs, she would rather have a hot dog than a ribeye steak. That's where I would draw the line. <laughs> However, when I went home, they eat hot dogs today, a little mustard and onions, and then we even had a chili dog too. We heated up some canned chili. But it was like a feast because we came here. The Lord fed us with his word. And I don't think that I'm not getting fed up here when, when I'm preaching a message because <laughs> I was. And I went home sitting across from the from the little counter with Lisa and having a hot dog. That in Christ, it was like a banquet. So anyway, I wanted to, uh, to get that to you. And, and uh, I don't know, I thought it was kind of fun for me. <laughs> so, so we pick it up in these verses here. And I don't know if, let me look at the time. Now that I've taken it up with that, I might not have the time to, to go through all nine verses. Um, of chapter six, then you can see that I, I, that we have the example of the little 
chiasmus, chiasm or chiasmus, verses uh, chapter five, verses eight through twelve. Those who cannot be satisfied, chapter five, verse thirteen to seventeen. Those who cannot enjoy, verses eighteen and nineteen of chapter five. What is good, and then verse twenty is the is the focal point or the emphasis. God's desire which is to keep us occupied with Christ's joy, chapter 5, verse 20. So we're going to look at verses five through, uh, verses 1 through 9 of chapter 6 very quickly. And, in, and you can see from the outline of it, verses 1 and 2, what is evil, as a, uh, which contrasts what is good in verses 18 to 19. Uh, verses 3 through 6, those who cannot enjoy brings another dimension of what we see in verses 13 to 17 of chapter 5. And then finally in verses 7 through 9, those who cannot be satisfied, like those who cannot be satisfied in chapter 5, verses 8 through 12, it brings an added dimension to dissatisfaction in life with those who are not in Christ Jesus in verses 7 to 9. So, chapter 6, verse 1 There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. Verse 2, a man to whom God gives wealth possesses uh, possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Verse 3, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, verse 4, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness and in darkness its name is covered, verse 5. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything Yet it finds rest rather than he, verse 6. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, uh, do not all go to the one place. Verse 7. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Verse 8. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man who also knows how to conduct himself before the living? Verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. In verses 1 and 2, we see that sickening evil or grievous evil. In verse, in verse 1, it starts off, uh, this is an evil we've seen in, under the sun. And then in verse 2, it ends with, this is vanity, it is a grievous evil. Just like we had seen uh, earlier, this grievous evil in chapter 5. It is a sickening, it can be translated sickening evil. It is the Hebrew uh, ra'ah And contrasted by the good of verses 18 and 19 in chapter 5. Behold, what I have seen uh, to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot, verse 19. Every uh, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift 
of God, that we can labor for those things and that we enjoy them because we enjoy them in Christ as we had seen in chapter 5, verse 20 and answering that question. So this sickening evil uh, contrasts this. Wealth without true worship is a waste. Prosperity without propitiation by Christ, Christ is perdition. Honor without the Holy One is hell. And since all belongs to Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, or the last part of verse 19 also, then all we have received by God's grace can only be ours to enjoy according to our embrace of his grace in Christ. Thus, much grace, much joy. Little grace, little joy. No grace, no joy. And Ephesians 4 and verse 7, I've uh, provided there for a reference. And I'll read it because I will slaughter my interpretation of verse 7 or my memory. Because honestly, I can't even remember what it, what it says. <laughs> it, it, it's left my mind momentarily. Ah, that's it. Verse 7 of Ephesians 4 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Paul was saying to the, to the Ephesians. Likewise, when, when we see the truth of God's grace in Christ and we embrace it, um, the, our enjoyment of those things that God has given is much increased. Much grace, much joy. Little grace, little joy. And it's not that God has, through Christ, has given you very little of his grace. It's there, especially if you are a child of God. God's grace is there. He lavishes his grace upon us. It's just that I haven't embraced it. I'm walking in the flesh, maybe, and not according to the Spirit. Because those who walk in the flesh, Romans 8, verse 8, those who, walk, uh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. By the, and the pleasure of God is from those who walk in faith. Because why? Because we've embraced the truth of God's grace. Hebrews 11, verse 6, for those uh, by, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Um, yeah, there we go. Any questions so far? Okay. Um, verses three through six, no burial, um, bringing in a dimension of those who cannot, in those who cannot enjoy. Uh, verse three, if a man fathers a hundred children and remember, uh, uh, what he mentioned in verses 13 to 17, of those that couldn't enjoy. He brings a parable of one person who goes in in a venture. He invests his money into one thing. He has one child and now squandered everything on a venture. Now he brings about, the preacher brings about this, a man fathering a hundred children as opposed to the one who fathers only one and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, his, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And he also has no burial, so that a stillborn child is better off than him. No burial. He has no enjoyment of God's good things because, uh, such a, because he's steeped in sin. Uh, this person, this type of person is, uh, where I mentioned in the verses 1 and 2, much grace, much joy, 
little grace, little joy. No grace, no joy. This man has no joy because he has no grace. He has nothing of Christ. And so, therefore, a man who, or woman, or child that has not received the truth of the grace of God in Christ, they, uh, they're steeped in sin. It's not just that they're, you know, they're wallowing in their sin. And, and this is why we, many of us, and I know many of you, you, have a, you really have an urgency to present the gospel unto those that are unsaved. And one of the reasons, even if you don't consciously know it, one of the reasons is, is that because uh, they don't have the grace of God, they are steeped in sin. They're not just sinners. They wallow in sin like a cesspool. And even though we don't know it consciously until we, the scriptures unfold it like this, like in Ecclesiastes, the Holy Spirit ministers unto us. And so we have an urgency, even though we don't know some of the reasons behind that urgency. And one of them is you're not just a sinner that has rejected Christ. You're steeped and wallowing in your sin. And so the things that we see where we have more joy because we know Christ, the opposite will be true. That those who don't know Christ not only don't have joy, but the things that should bring them pleasure don't satisfy. They can't enjoy them. They're, uh, the, what they think is joy is even a false sense of joy. There's no happiness whatsoever in it. What, there's no blessing from it. And they have no joy in it. Um, they, because they're steeped in sin, they do not walk in newness of life as Romans uh, six and verse four says that that they are slaves. They are st- the reason they're steeped in sin is because Romans six four says that they're slaves to sin. We're now that we're saved, our sin is buried, and we're slaves unto righteousness. But those therefore that are not slaves to righteousness are slaves to sin. And then the stillborn, or the King James version calls it the untimely birth. Uh, it's compared with the prosperous life that's steeped in sin. It's better. It is better for somebody, uh, for a soul that has not been born, that they were stillborn at birth, because if their lot was to be prosperous and yet steeped in sin, wallowing in sin and slaves to sin, it's better off that they didn't experience that ever. And And what that gives us a sense of, how horrid is sin? It is horrid. Sin is a horrible, horrifying thing that should break our hearts every time we dip our toe in the waters, in the shallow waters of temptation. So, um, in, so in verses 3 through 6, uh, the, he uses, uh, basically, that's an expression of the uh, that is well well known in the preacher's day. This, hey, it's better that you never been born. And then last thing, appetite is the real key word in verses seven and nine, especially. Or uh, verse nine calls it desire, but uh, in the King James version, but it calls it appetite both in the King James and the English Standard Version in verse seven, appetite. And I provided you the Hebrew equivalent there. Verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, 
yet his appetite is not satisfied. Um, in your notes, I provided you that the word there for appetite is the Hebrew word nephesh. Nephesh means soul. Uh, the first time that we see that used is uh, when God created the, 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 uh, the living creatures, uh, the, the birds of the air in, on day four. Um, he created those living creatures. He gave them a soul. And then we see it also in uh, Genesis chapter 2. Um, Genesis chapter 2, that God formed man from the dust of the ground on the sixth day of creation. He's given more details from, the, from Genesis 1. He's given us more details. And so he creates, forms him out of the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul, nephesh, um, in Genesis chapter 2. Then he planted a garden eastward in Eden and put the man, the living man, into it. Brother Mike. So the appetite, the word that's translated, and it can be translated appetite, the soul, but if we understand that it's using the word nephesh here in the original, uh, even my Hebrew uh, Jerusalem Publication Society translates it appetite um, because it was uh, um, the, the, uh, the soul has a natural hunger for God. And Jesus preached on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Brother Mike. The, in Romans 8, it says that created subject, man was created subject to vanity. Uh, man was created uh, subject to vanity. I know, yeah, I know the verse you're talking about. But it sounds... Uh, yes, um, and in fact, if I went to Romans 8, which I'm not going to right now, looking at just making sure that we cover what we're going to cover and then have questions and even carry on maybe next week if we need to. Uh, but in Romans 8, if I haven't misremembered what that, what that was talking about in that section, is that he was made with that appetite. I believe that's what you're getting at. Uh, that man... Though he was made perfect, he was made according to Ephesians and Colossians in his creation, he was made in wisdom, knowledge, and holiness. In and he was perfect in the garden when he was made. But he's made a little lower than the angels and there was a weakness in him, obviously, because he fell in sin. But in Romans 8, where it says that he was made um, subject to vanity because the fellowship with God is what we were created for. First Corinthians, and Paul mentions that in First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, that we were created for God's glory. And that the writer of Hebrews uh, brings that about in chapters 10 and 11 and 12. Um, yes? Not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. Rather than exegeting that, that particular passage, because it does, it does tie into it, yeah, man was, but man was made with this, with his soul hungering for God. And so appetite is an appropriate word, uh, as far as, especially as far as uh, uh, Hebrew, much uh, Hebrew thinking, that unless it's filled with the truth of God, unless it's filled with God himself, and we see that fulfilled, the New Testament tells us that we're filled with Christ. We have a... a a Christ-shaped void in our lives. 
And it's meant to be filled with Christ. And even Adam was created that way in the beginning, that that could only be filled with fellowship with God. And so, um, where are we? Oh, okay. Uh, so in verse uh, verse 7, if, so if you take this, all toil of man is for his mouth, yet his soul is not satisfied. And now if we take those things that we have already looked at from chapter 5, verse 20, all the way through the, uh, chapter 6, and see the emptiness of life apart from Christ, that our soul, even if we, this man that is spoken of who can't enjoy things, who can't be sad, uh, who who cannot enjoy things and now cannot be satisfied with things, the reason he cannot be satisfied is that the soul isn't filled, no matter how much he fills his mouth, as far as for verse 7. Um, verse verse 8, um, and this reinforces what was said in chapter 5, verses 8 through 12, um, of those who cannot be satisfied. We see that the the unjust and the oppressive in verses 8 and 9, and the lovers of money in in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, and the lovers of money in chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 are like those who labor for their mouths with no priority for their souls in chapter 6, verses 7 to 9. This is why they can't be satisfied. And so we have three groups of people there. Those who labor and work, but they only work for their mouths apart from the love of Christ and the grace of God in Christ. We have those who are oppressive, who are in authority, who have power. They have power and uh, in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, but they are oppressive. Why? Because they are not filling their souls with Christ. They are not satisfied, since they can't find satisfaction for their souls, because verses uh, chapter 6 verses 7 through 9 help to amplify that for us they can't find satisfaction for their souls so they become oppressive and unjust even though they're given by god a place of authority in chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 the the people that receive possessions in other words money they receive wealth from god they can't prosper because their souls are not satisfied in chapter 5 verses 10 through 12, they're not satisfied through prosperity. And then finally, the last group of people is in chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. They can't, pro- they can't prosper through their labor because they're not, their souls aren't satisfied because it's not filled with Christ. Um, verses, uh, verse 8, For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living. The poor man's no better than the rich man. The wise man's no better than the fool if their soul isn't satisfied with the only one who satisfies, Christ Jesus. And so, um, and then in verse 9, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the soul. If you do that, if you put appetite and translate the the Hebrew word nephesh for soul, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the soul. The the soul that is not satisfied, it's better to see what you have. And, and, uh, And it's speaking in terms of somebody who's not saved there. Because... Corinthians tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 
um, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter is it chapter four says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Second Corinthians chapter four says we walk by faith and not by sight. But even there, since the person can't satisfy his soul, the best that he has, in other words, verse nine is saying that the very best he has is being able to look out at Iliamna or look at the fireweed that's blooming. The things that God had created for our enjoyment, and even after the flood, in a kind of, uh, in a cleansing, if you will, because of the ungodliness of men. And so after the flood, and now the mountains have grown up, and we have the view of Eliamna, we have the fireweed in the summer. Those people that are not satisfied, the only thing that they have to enjoy are the things that they see in their, by the side of their eyes. Because their food doesn't satisfy them. The best that they can get is what they see. Uh, That's that such a sad testimony of unbelief. And that again, if we, if, if there are believers who have been saved and they have this gift of evangelism and they want to evangelize, but one, some of the things that are driving behind them is that the people that are unsaved are wallowing, steeped in sin. They're slaves to sin. And that the only thing that they can enjoy is that which they see by their physical eyes. How sad it is for a blind man who does not know Jesus and can't see. That's, ver- that's Ecclesiastes 6 verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the soul. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So that's uh, pretty much where my notes ran out. I'm not telling you the exact truth because I had more notes than I scratched them off to make them fit in this thing. And I could probably go on and on. But, um, but thankfully for you, I've forgotten all those notes that I struck out because I struck them out around Monday or Tuesday. I was working on this early because I was really having a wonderful study with this, uh, with this, chasing these things all around the Bible. But it, it, was this section helpful to you? It's a... It's, uh, Yes. Uh, any, any questions or comments? So, be satisfied with Christ. Uh, Isn't it wonderful our gracious God would allow the common grace to the sinners that are all over the world that sin against Him to enjoy the sights and sounds and all the nature and all the things He's created because that's all they have because they don't have Christ inside their heart to bring them any closer to Him. So they look at the beautiful mountains Right. The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth showeth his handiwork, as it says in, uh, in Psalm 19. Or is that 19? 27. Oh, no, 19. That's Psalm 19. And, and so they see that. You're right. And sadly, that's the best that they can do. And in Ecclesiastes, we're told that one who is apart from Christ is going to end up, the food that they eat is not going to be tasty because it, it's, they're steeped in sin. The, the air that they breathe is not going to smell as fresh. The rest that they get is not going to be as comforting or as restful. The relationships are not going to be as deep or as tender or as enjoyable. Sister Betsy, you had something. Well, I was just thinking of John 10.10. 10. It says, 
that a thief came to steal and destroy, but I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. And I was thinking, you know, we, we can see creation, worship the creation, but it's so much better to you know the creator. It kind of makes everything more abundant. Absolutely. And one of the other references that, that came to mind when I, I scratched it off, but I'll let up. No extra charge. It was Romans chapter 1, where they worship the creation rather than the creator who's blessed forevermore. These, this is the direction that they would end up going. And you're absolutely right. And so uh, what God has given us is uh, by his grace to meditate upon the truth of his lavish goodness and his and his free grace i i don't deserve you don't deserve we don't deserve any of this yet he gives it to us bountifully abundantly brother mike well you know hungry souls says i need more that's what i yeah oh I, i'm just noticing like on instagram i follow a lot of young people mm-hmm. and they they show these spectacular views of where they hike to mm-hmm. they just want more and more it's not satisfying it's enjoyed but it's not satisfying you know what i mean yes and and we're coming up to some in ecclesiastes to some other other things that will build upon these and buzz has gone through uh studying ecclesiastes in the past and and so that's why he's laughing right there because he knows where i'm going with this the thing that's uh ironic about this is that jesus satisfies us and we have psalms. There is this one the the, the, the Jews would, uh, even today, they go, Deanu, this is, uh, it would have been enough. God has done this. He has freed us and libera- he liberated us from the bondage of Egypt. That would have been enough. But he brought us through the Red Sea. That would have been enough. They, but he's fed us, he, he gave us drink from the rock. That would have been enough. But he's fed us with manna. That would have been enough. And God keeps on giving and giving and giving. And the ironic thing is, is that Jesus satisfies and I think, I don't want any more. But as we grow in grace, he gives us more. But with those who are not satisfied, whose souls are hungering, they're empty. Their appetites are not filled. Their souls are not filled with Christ. These things, I want more and more and more. I need more thrill in my seeking. I need more adventure in my venturing. I need all these things and they never satisfy, and the more they get, the more they want, and they'll just never come to the end of it. I want more money. They get more money. It does, still doesn't satisfy. It's like a drug. But with Christ, he satisfies, and we think, oh, I'm overwhelmed. I don't think I could take another. And then he gives us more, and he gives us more of himself and more of himself, and it just, my, I'm, I'm beside myself with the goodness of God in Christ. Isn't it? And, and that's where Ecclesiastes will start taking us more and more, and we'll see that. That uh, the, the more that we're satisfied with Christ, the more he gives us of himself. That's amazing. So, anything else? Well, I certainly enjoyed having this study with you tonight. And uh, let's pray. Our most blessed and gracious Father in God, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Oh, Lord, uh, you fill our souls with Christ. You give us life. You satisfy us. You, as Paul says, I'm content. 
I know how to be content, whether I'm abounding or abased, but Lord, you give us, by giving us Christ who is infinitely good, you give us everything. And the things of the world will not satisfy. Take the world and the worldly lusts away from us so that our focus and attention can be on Christ alone and we'll see the goodness of heaven always. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.